1: Welcome to this week's episode of Loving Animals. I'm Dr. Robin Ganser, your host and the president and CEO of American Humane, our country's first national humane organization. All this week, friends, we're revisiting one of my favorite episodes, our interview with Zach Scow, an incredible animal lover. Zach established Marley's Mutt's Dog Rescue, a nonprofit that helps dogs with special needs and histories of abuse and neglect. And friends, Zach knows a thing or two about that amazing bond that can develop between stray animals and their loving rescuers. He's the adopted dad of Hooch, a former stray who was so starved and badly abused before his rescue. But there's a great ending to the Hooch story. We can't forget how Zach and Hooch attended American Humane's 2016 Hero Dog Awards in Los Angeles, and Hooch walked away with the top prize Hero Dog of the Year. After this quick break, we'll hear from Zach and Hooch, and friends, you don't want to miss this. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Loving Animals. We'll be right back with Zach. Hey, cat people, litter box smells always on your mind. Think about your cat, not the box, with World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that delivers big odor control in a tiny package. World's Best Cat Litter harnesses the concentrated power of corn to trap odors deep inside the litter. Ready to knock out smells and use less litter? Find World's Best Cat Litter at Target, Walmart, and in your local Grocery and Pet Stores.
0: Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Hooch is in the house. Yes, the 2016 Hero Dog of the Year, Hooch, is with us, and his pet parent, Zach Scal. Everyone fell in love with Zach and Hooch's story at the 2016 American Humane Hero Dog Awards. How could you not? When you see that incredible dog, and oh, and Zach's incredible, inspirational story and journey. We all felt our hearts just grow two times larger during that time together. And I'm so thrilled that Zach has joined us today to give us an update on hooch and to share a little bit about Marley's mutts. Zach, welcome. Howdy. Howdy. How is it today in your wonderful hometown?
0: Oh, everything's terrific. We got a, a lot moving and shaking. We just added a couple dogs that we picked up at the airport from China. So getting them integrated into the pack and we got, uh, it's, there's a, a lot going on up here.
1: Wow, dogs from China. Tell me a little bit about what's going on with your work with those dogs.
0: Well, we partner with an organization called Animal Hope and Wellness Foundation. Uh, Our friend Mark Ching has been... um, I I originally went to Korea uh, two and a half years ago to do some dog meat trade uh, kind of investigation and and rescue work. So I I was over there for a couple of weeks. We made trips to, to Thailand and a few other places and came back with bunches and bunches of dogs. And I've kind of been been uh, embroiled in the, the dog meat trade ever since and, and wanting to make a difference. So uh, he recently came back from Yulin uh, on Thursday, or I'm sorry, on Sunday, with uh, some dogs from slaughterhouses and from the Yulin Dog Meat Festival, and uh, we're trying to, to help bring awareness to the topic of the dog meat trade, and as well as, you know, adopt out and train a lot of these dogs that need some structure, and, and uh, believe it or not, we actually are sending these dogs to prison to our, one of our four prison programs here in the state of California. So uh, a handful of these, these slaughterhouse survivors are, ironically enough, heading, heading back inside prison.
1: Wow, but in a different way, that's for sure. Zach, I had no idea you were doing this kind of work with uh, the dog meat trade. You know, just a few weeks ago, there were a lot of uh, social media activity, actually a frenzy of activity, announcing that the Yulon meat trade had had shut down. They were not going to do this year's festival, and yet we never received official confirmation from the Chinese government. And, of course, what do we know now? They yeah. opened up the festival and it was profitable which is scary yeah. for all of us animal lovers tell us what you know the inside scoop what's going on with the Yulan meat trade
0: well that's exactly what what I heard 2 weeks before it started so when all the buzz you know was uh, hitting social media and the airwaves that you know Ulan had come to some sort of agreement with the, the city of yulin and, and officials had come to some sort of agreement based on pressure from activists to bring the brutal practice to an end. Everyone kind of rejoiced and said, hey, you know, mm-hmm. almost like no need to worry. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's taken care of. And I think that was exactly their tactic. And I talked to Mark before he headed over, and, and that's exactly what he said, is this is all up front. There's no way that it's over. Uh, they've been in negotiations with different uh, provincial and, and city and local uh, government officials, and, and um, his take on it was that they're definitely not yet to uh, banning the practice and that a lot more work needed to be done and just as much of a presence needed to be there this year as as in past years. And um, I think that we basically got faked out, you
1: know. Right, (laughs) uh, right. That's a good way to put it, faked out, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, know,
0: what what, what we can do, and and I know mm -hmm. what American Humane is involved in and and what we all can do is um, is open up. I mean, we're not going to save them, you know, one adoption at a time. That's not going to obviously be a uh, a proper tactic and a strategy to to end the dog meat trade. You know, we really have to put pressure on politically which I know they're doing, there's uh, groups like, you know, I Stand With My Pack and, and Animal Health and Wellness Foundation and our, our own. What we just try to do is share on our own very large social media platforms um, the practice, what it is, what it consists of, and uh, people can kind of get galvanized from that point on. And, and we do open up uh, adoption channels because it is really important to, to showcase some of these dogs and their adoptability. Some of them have been through unspeakable tortures, and um, and it's really remarkable that they can bounce back. The the two that I have here, Saffron and Allie, are, uh, you know, Allie was completely shut down, and we didn't get home until 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'm thinking, man, I wonder if this, I wonder if I can even let her off-leash in the backyard, because, you know, we're fenced, you know, I wonder if she's going to bolt. And, and then the next day, man, she just... Opened up her heart and she's wiggling and, and learning how to play. I have a couple of happy go lucky dogs in my pack that kind of teach these shut down dogs how to play. And man, we I posted some of the videos to our social media at Marley's Mutts. and uh, they're great. You know, they're perfect family dogs. I mean, literally in two days of socialization, they are ready to go. They've been around big dogs, small dogs, you know, all kinds of stuff. Working on you know the leash, getting them used to a leash is is probably the biggest challenge, but we are basically there. And again, we're only two days in. So,
1: Oh, Zach, you know, I was in Hong Kong last fall, and I met with the World Dog Alliance, and they were giving us background uh, in our work there about uh, the meat trade, unfortunately, the dog meat trade. And what they were saying is that most of these dogs are actually family pets that have been kidnapped. And yeah. you know, and that to me is stunning. These are not mm-hmm. dogs necessarily bred to be dog meat. Unfortunately, they're, you know, they're someone's pet has been kidnapped and stolen, yeah, stolen in the a variety
0: home. of places. That, that's exactly right, and it's um, you can definitely see that when you visit uh, places like Korea. We we spent several days coming the countryside, about three hours outside of of uh, Seoul, and we found essentially amateur dog catchers mm-hmm. who operated dog meat farms, where they were both producing dogs for the dog meat trade and also, you know, snatching up people's dogs. You know, we we brought home a golden retriever that we named Uh Sol, who clearly was somebody's dog, you know. We basically threatened to get him shut down, and, and Save Korean Dogs was able to get that farm shut down several months later.
1: Wonderful.
0: But uh, that's what exactly what it is. You know, they get dogs by any means necessary. We came. You know, we went to restaurants that had little mini dog meat operations in the back of the restaurant where they were breeding dogs. We brought back several puppies that had been bred for just that. Mm. The uh, yeah, I mean, the literal translation of, of most of the dogs that are used in Korea is dogs are called Narangi. That literal translation is S-H-I-T, dog, oh, you know? Oh. So they don't feel very very highly about these particular dogs. They do have a very pronounced affinity for purebred dogs. There, there is a, a real big cultural paradigm shift happening in places like Korea where they really do care about their animals. There really is a the young generation cares about their animals. I went to a place in Seoul, a big mall that on the top floor of this mall was basically like a doggy Disneyland where you could go learn about the history of the dog. You could watch protection dog events you could watch all kinds of different frisbee events like they had every type of dog specialist who had who, and, and really it was just a showcase of the human canine bond it was beautiful so wow. you got you got a couple miles from there in downtown Seoul is one of the most notorious meat trade markets you know on the planet where I, I videotaped dogs being electrocuted burned to death you know and just a couple miles from there is a doggy disneyland you know the the polar opposite of what was happening at this meat market. So it's just really a dichotomy that that's hard to explain. You know, a lot of it has to do with saving face and not wanting to acknowledge what the reality is for sake of, of accepting shame. You know? Okay. Shame is a a big thing in, in Asian culture that, that uh, they want to, you know, stay away from acknowledging. They don't want to be painted with a broad brush. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean nobody does, but you have to acknowledge the problem before you can fix it.
1: It's exactly right, you know. Zach, there's uh I've heard a lot of the debate in in our country, particularly if you recall the Olympics in Russia when we were trying to bring the dogs back from there to yeah. uh, to dogs and from the Ulan meat trade. That there's pushback. There's enough dogs in our country that need to be sheltered and rescued and given an opportunity for a forever loving home. How do yeah. you respond to that when people uh, well, say it's that? Well, super to easy
0: you? for me. I mean, we get a lot of that flack as well. And for me, we have a very large social media platform of of 600,000 followers that are very engaged and are and what's important to them is dogs and dogs everywhere. And so what we've made a point to do is try and highlight as many organizations as we can that do really good work that just don't have the social media support. So we have sister shelter operations in Romania. I just got back from Romania. We spent 10 days there rebuilding a shelter and doing seven straight days of spay and neuter. We spay and neutered 300 dogs. Wow. And we've been to Soy Dog Foundation a couple of times. We've been to, you know, out to Korea, and we're working on something in Puerto Rico for this November. And and the whole point is that there's a lot of, you know, we should push the uh, the plight of the dog anywhere and mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, man's best friend deserves to be advocated for wherever and, and, and whenever possible. And um we are in you know Kern County one mm-hmm. county north of Los Angeles where you know we um, when i first started Marley's Mutts there was 83% euthanasia which is upwards of 25,000 dogs annually in our county which is not a very big co- i mean it's it's a large county square mileage wise but we're very poor um, we're nothing like Los Angeles County, and we've transitioned to a no-kill movement. We've got a no-kill movement, and so believe you me, we're doing our best to uh, save the dogs here. and We have an elaborate foster network set up, and we're closing escrow on our rescue ranch, hopefully here in the next week. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot. We like to advocate wherever we can be effective. And a guy by the name of Dr. A. Richard Grossman, um, founder of the Grossman Burn Centers, taught me that uh, wherever you can be of assistance, you should you know and and he told me uh in response to an interview he did when he he spent over a million dollars on two burned dogs that we that we had rescued you know he said why did you spend you know why on earth did the did the hospital did the human hospital take in these two dogs to bring them back to life and spend untold hundreds of thousands of dollars on these dogs just to to bring back a couple of dogs and he said because we can mm-hmm. and um that's my approach is that because we can we should and um right. if it's not going to take away from the work we have going here for our local dogs, I really think it's it's profound work, and um, we're also writing a book with our social media. You know, we are essentially publishing a magazine and writing a book, and you have to you have to try and keep things diverse, and you have to try and um, keep things lively and keep things interesting. And, and if you focus on, on only one thing. You know, you're not going to get the followers that you need to... And those followers are the people that generate donations. Those followers are the people that generate adoptions. So, you know, for every 100,000 people that we have viewing our Romania posts Mm -hmm. to check in on Romania, they're also on there looking at our adoptable dogs. So Mm -hmm. whenever our numbers tick up in circulation, that's going to translate to adoptable dogs locally. So there's a formula you have to apply, and I have zero shame about helping dogs elsewhere in the world. We've brought dogs back from Iraq, Iran, India... We've advocated in Afghanistan, we've done, you know, dogs from Thailand, Korea, Mexico, all over the place, you know, and it's and, and because we can, you know.
1: And because compassion knows no boundaries,
0: and yeah, you certainly exactly. are the epitome
1: of that spirit, and uh, you're an inspiration, Zach. I'm sure you
0: guys get the same thing, you know, where it's like, hey, a lot of people will give you the, well, you know, almost insulted at the fact that you're pushing the agenda of the human-canine bond <laughs> instead of... Uh, Instead of the human-human bond, they want you to be working with kids. And you can tell them, you can, I can show them our educational programs until we're blue in the face working with children. And they'll still, at the end of the day, say, you know, I believe this money should be spent on on kids. And I just try and politely tell these people, you know, you're in the wrong forum, you're following the wrong page.
1: You know, we think there just needs to be a lot more resources for all of the vulnerable, you know, all the voiceless. And
0: mm-hmm. certainly
1: we see this in today's challenging and politically polarizing times. Zach, you have an amazing personal story that's inspired your advocacy platform, inspired uh, you being a humane hero to so many who follow you and support you. I'd like to for you to visit with us about your personal journey after our break. But before we go to our commercial break, can you give us your website where people can learn more and make a donation to Marley's yeah, Mutts?
0: Yeah, absolutely. website is marleysmutts.org, M-A-R-L-E-Y-S-M-U-T-T-S.org.
1: And they can follow you on Facebook at Marley's Mutts?
0: Yeah, Marley's Mutts Dog Rescue on Facebook, Marley's Mutts on Instagram, and Marley's Mutts on Twitter, or MM Dog Rescue on Twitter.
1: That's wonderful. Well, friends, you must go to Marley's Mutts, and it's a fantastic organization to support. We're going to be right back after this brief commercial break to hear more about Zach's personal journey. Friends, you must join us after this break. It's powerful. Be back in a minute.
0: We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help.
1: Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite is nutrition.
0: Pick up two bottles of Licochops. Get the third bottle free.
1: New improved Licochops with omega-3, omega-6, vitamin E.
0: And now, six extra direct-fed
1: microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Licochops. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com.
0: D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Oh.
1: Welcome back to Loving Animals. We are so thrilled today to have a very special guest. Zach Skow is an inspiration. He's a passionate animal advocate. And if you were listening to us right before the break, you heard about his incredible worldwide effort to... Uh, to uplift the peeling power of the canine human bond. And and Zach, I love your work around the world. Romania sounds fascinating, the efforts to spay neuter. Your work with China and Korea, amazing. But Zach, I know that you started out probably on a different path, and, and I'm not sure if you started out thinking that you would change the world for animals. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey and what inspired you to do what you do today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a long version and an you know, an abridged version. I'll try and, uh, <laughs> and keep it short. But, uh, Somewhere in, in between
1: is great because you've got a lot of amazing lessons learned that I think all of us can learn from.
0: Yeah, there definitely is. You know, my um, my struggle, you know, my struggle has been kind of lifelong, but um, that my struggle as it pertains to, to finding my purpose began in, in 2008. I was diagnosed with end-stage liver disease uh, which and ac- acute kidney disease, so um, basically liver and kidney failure. And um I was given uh, less than 90 days to live without a liver transplant, and um, I wasn't going to get a liver transplant because I was an alcoholic and a a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And um, in order to qualify for transplant, you need six months sober. So I was, um, you know, I spent almost two months in the hospital with kind of no hope, no end in sight, and I'm really just waiting to either go home for hospice or to um, to pass away.
1: How old were you then, Zach?
0: I was twenty-eight years old. I turned twenty-nine in the hospital.
1: Oh my goodness! Twenty-eight years old.
0: Yeah. So that was the summer of two thousand and eight. You know, I drank myself into liver failure because of, you know, a variety of things. I'm, I believe that I'm genetically predisposed to alcoholism. I believe that there were a lot of things that I that were weighing on my on my soul and on my mind, on my heart that I didn't know how to express and remedy. And I, um, more than anything, I, I also didn't have any purpose. I lived a purposeless life and and a very um, woe is me, sorry for my self-existence, and um, it wasn't until I I got, my my dad basically ripped all of my, uh, my tubes and plugs out at Bakersfield Memorial Hospital and broke me out against doctor's will and and took me to, against all medical advice, you know, signing all the paperwork, basically, not knowing if that was going to null our insurance, not knowing any of it, but he just knew I was getting sicker and sicker at the hospital, and he wanted to get me to a facility that did liver transplants. So he busted me out and took me to Cedar sinai which is where I was born, uh, here in Beverly Hills. And um, luckily, by the grace of God, I was admitted into the comprehensive transplant program under the um, careful watch of of um, an incredible female transplant doctor and, and her staff who who were just amazing. They took me off all my medicine. They uh, took me off the painkillers that I became become addicted to in the hospital, and um, they eventually sent me home. Her name was Dr. Tram Tran, T-R-A-N, T-R-A-N.
1: A oh, big shout-out um, to her today, right?
0: Yeah, big time. She's a great, great lady. And, and um, by sending me home to go through opiate withdrawal at home and um, and get me away from the, uh, the drugs that were killing me in the hospital, uh, that was the first step towards hope. And um, I got home, and, and really all I wanted to do was kill myself. I, I didn't know how to live without alcohol or drugs. I was uh, about 140 pounds. I was bright yellow. I had a huge nine-month-pregnant-looking belly, you know, that had been... Getting drained every few days. Uh, mm-hmm. this, I had a catheter stuck in my back, basically, that was draining my stomach. It's called a paracentesis, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just dying. You know, I was no way to no other way to say it. I was just dying of liver failure, and in that state, really everything goes wrong with you. You know, you have ammonia buildup on your brain, so you don't know what you're not cognitively very aware. I was very, very. I just looked like the sickest, sick person you could you'd ever seen, and, and I, so and, and young, I,
1: Zach, so young.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had been a 24-hour drinker for five years prior to that. And I had been an everyday drinker since I was uh, 18.
1: Mm.
0: So, um, you know, it, and I was consuming massive amounts of, of alcohol and drugs. So it wasn't wasn't for lack of, um, you know, damaging my liver. I, I definitely put the work in. Uh, ironically enough, my dad's dad had died of the same same disease. He died. His liver failed uh, from alcoholism when my dad was 15. Mm. Uh, my dad didn't know his dad very well, and and it was that man's 24-hour-a-day book that I found when I was in recovery. When I had just gotten out of the hospital, I had found the book that he was reading the day he died, marked July 3rd, 1961. And uh, I've held on to that book for a long time. It brings me a lot of strength. It brings me a lot of. Um, I just feel like I'm I'm his legacy, and I'm living out the uh, the life that he he wished he could have. And I've kind of brought him back into my dad's life. My my dad had never acknowledged his father. He he hated his father. And so, you know, I, I was able to uh, find a god of my understanding that, that involved uh, my ancestors, involved my grandfather. I found some dogs that understand me. And um, that's how I started to put one foot in front of the other. I I started, um, after I stopped, you know, I had I fantasized about suicide for a long time. That's really all I thought about from sunup to sundown. And, and um, my dogs were looking at me every day like you know, every single day was just the greatest day in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. And they looked up at me with their tails wagging every day, you know, What are we gonna do today, Dad? What are
1: we gonna do today? <laughs>
0: Specifically Marley and Tug and and every day they would just look at me and I'm looking at myself in the mirror, just dying, you know, mm-hmm. and having no no self worth, no self confidence, extreme self hatred. And my dogs were looking at me like I'm the world's most attractive man, both spiritually and physically. And, and like our, the day is our oyster and carpe diem a thousand times over. And, and finally, I just relented, and um, I started to journal, and, and we started to walk. We just started to walk. I couldn't even hold a leash. I was on crutches at the time, too. And um, we just started to walk. I took wow. my dogs, and, and uh, we just started to walk up here in the mountains. And uh, a little walk became a little bit further, became a little bit further, and I started walking about four times a day. Started writing in that journal about what I was feeling. Started taking pictures of the sunrise. And the rest is history. We, we uh, It just organically grew from that. I started to bring dogs into my pack, and I started to write stories about them. I started to take pictures of them and, and then put up their posters all over the place at the Baskin and Robbins, at the you know, at the veterinary hospital, at the library. So people would gather around and see, I'll add like 13 dogs in my pack. And and all of this, my only point of living is to try and make it six months sober so that I could qualify for transplant. You know, I'm still, that's my primary focus is, is getting Healthy enough to take a liver transplant and to qualify. And so by the time I, um, I reached six months, I no longer needed a liver transplant. My body had started to heal itself. Seriously, I was still sick,
1: that's I amazing. Wanted, um
0: I wasn't as sick as as I um obviously as I as I had been and if you graphed it on a chart from 2008 from the end of from fall of 2008 until right now my liver health um and overall health has just increased and increased and increased and I owe that um all to the ability of my dogs to help get me out of myself help me live in the day and the moment and help me uh, stop feeling sorry for myself and uh and yeah people just people wanted to be a part of it I had a bunch of really cool people in my life that said why don't you do this I was like, Do what like, rescue dogs like man I, I you know I didn't even graduate college. I got kicked out of two colleges you know i can't I was a drug dealer you know, and just a general you know overall you know just a uh, pretty awful human being i mean i have always had the scaffolding of a, of a good human being i've always been very compassionate i've always been very loving i've always cared for my friends, and right. i've never you know i my moral and ethical foundation is very sound I just you know drugs and alcohol lead you into lead you astray and take you away from your authentic self. And I didn't know that I could get it back. And not only did I get it back, I've been able to elaborate on it and and find out a whole bunch about myself because of my dogs that, that has, uh, you know, allowed me to love myself or or at least (laughs) least tolerate myself, you know, whereas before I just absolutely hated myself. And, um,
1: well, we all love you, Zach. I can tell you that, and, and we love you even more for sharing the, you know, this incredible story. It's the frailty of the human condition, and you, you've explored this, and you've been so open and genuine, and in your authentic voice. And what I love yeah. is that your story of hope and healing and compassion is because those dogs got you out of bed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And they and, loved and you
1: unconditionally.
0: Totally, and uh, also that I wouldn't change any of it you know a lot of people say oh my god you you spent all this time in the hospital and and there's a bunch of suffering i left in there that i left out of there that that's just almost too graphic to describe you know when your body's in liver failure there's so many things that go wrong with you that are just that are just disgusting and it's it's really the the depths of human I mean, just morbidity and, and patheticness. I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's really an awful existence. And um, and I know now that all that struggle was was for a purpose, you know, and That's that was right. to find my worth and find my, my role in life and to find my purpose. And, and I think most people can relate to suffering and to struggle, mm-hmm. and they might be going through it right now. And, and if they just can snap into view and into perspective and understand that whatever you're going through now is, is to help make you a better person in the long run and to help make you more, give you more depth as an individual, give your spirit a uh, better perspective, introduce you to things that you wouldn't have otherwise been introduced to, or to, to learn how to empathize, you know, to learn how to sympathize. And that's what, that's what all this did for me. You know, I'm, I'm almost nine years clean and sober, and I wouldn't have done any of that with, unless I'd been introduced to, unless I'd gone through this suffering. Um, that's right. And, uh, and I wouldn't change it for the world. I love that I'm sober. I love that I went through liver failure. I love that, you know, there's a lot of things that I had to address. I mean, I got to address all those things that, that weighed so heavily on me mentally. I wouldn't have addressed those things had I not gone through this. They would have—they would still be lingering, and I would have just slowly drank myself to death, or quickly drank myself to death, or be incarcerated or institutionalized.
1: Zach, you know, I want to talk about how you paid it forward because the dog named Hooch came into your life, and you paid it forward with Hooch. And can you share with our listeners those that didn't meet Hooch as our 2016 Hero Dog of the Year? But yeah. uh, um, boy, did they ever miss out, and they need to go to see uh, Hooch's uh, tribute video and learn more about this very special dog that has touched so many people, Shared with us about how you paid it forward by helping Hooch.
0: Yeah, well, Hooch was that kind of dog that almost did it for you. You know, Hooch came to us, as most of our dogs do. We got a call from Animal Control with an image, and it said, uh, this dog, it's a bully breed dog, he's here at the shelter, he's got pneumonia, we need your help. Mm. Uh, that's how we rescue a lot of our local dogs, is through advocates within Animal Control. And I should give a quick shout-out to Animal Control. Love your animal control. Respect your animal control. Shelter workers, those Mm -hmm. people are on the front lines. They are our our foot soldiers in the rescue world, and if we don't respect those people for what they have to go through daily, the whole system crumbles, and we we cease to work together as a unit, as a team, if we ostracize and alienate our shelter workers. So So people deserve a lot of love. So, yeah, Hooch had an advocate, and uh, we went down there to pick him up, and, and uh, I knew he, I could tell he was very, very skinny. I could tell he was very, very sick. But um, it wasn't until we took him to the hospital that we found out he didn't have a tongue. Mm-hmm. You don't think to look for that. His ears had been freshly severed, so we could tell his, his ears had been cut off. They were crusty and infected. But you just don't think to look at a dog. You don't think to look for the existence or lack of existence of a tongue. So it was very obvious that whomever had cut off his ear and cut off his tongue and um, we just set to trying to figure out how to um, make him live, and uh, so we gave him an esophageal feeding tube, which is just plugging a hole in his in his neck and uh, providing a main line to the, the second stage of digestion, just basically plopping it right into his intestine, his stomach, from his esophagus and tried to strategize from there, and everyone told us to euthanize him, and they said, you're just doing this for personal glory, and the dogs have no quality of life, and uh, he's suffering, he's suffering, what are you doing? And, and we wanted to, to try and come up with a plan, and we, we got a Bailey's chair, which is for dogs with mega esophagus. wonderful organization if you're able to follow Bailey's Chairs on on, uh, Instagram or Facebook. And that taught us how to feed him sitting upright, basically in like a seated position, you know, kind of one kibble at a time. He ended up ripping out his feeding tube and and started drinking out of a mop bucket at the veterinary hospital. So we're like, hey, you can drink. You know, he just drinks like a horse. He submerges like half his face and he just sucks. So he figured out how to drink. We figured out how to feed him. And then we just perfected feeding him. And then ever since then, he's been a normal dog. He loves kids. He loves being of service, uh, especially when it's not that hot out. <laughs> only about six months out of the year. Uh-huh. Being that he has no tongue, he can't regulate his body temperature. So it's difficult for him to be in, in a hot climate. That's why right now he's inside laying on the ground,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: just hanging out with the fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but he loves to be of service. He loves to be around people. He loves to be around other dogs. He's a very, very gregarious dog. He's just very funny to look at too. He's got such a, a distinguishable just character. He looks like a cartoon. Mm-hmm. He looks like a walking cartoon. He's a big orange bear with no ears and no tongue. Mm-hmm. And he's just this funny looking, his butt end is a lot, is like three inches higher than his front end. So he almost <laughs> looks like a panther, but he's just, you know, and he's this odd, you know, long haired, like longer-haired orange, not like a true French Mastiff that have mm-hmm. short hair. Right. Um, he's got like an undercoat, and he's just such an interesting dog, and everybody just loves him. So we, we've we taken hooch everywhere. Um, Valley Achievement Center for Autistic Youth, you know, that was our our favorite place because most of these kids have never met a dog. Being that they're nonverbal autistic, uh, it's, you know, they have a tough time with boundaries mm-hmm. and with uh, with aggression. I think aggression is kind of a bad word. They don't understand how to give or receive certain types of affection. So it can come out you know, in, in outbursts of, of physical pressure. You know, they can be imposing on a dog. But Hooch just Hooch doesn't mind the loud screams. I mean, you guys saw him at the Hero Dog Awards where okay. he, he repelled from the audience cheer. <laughs> I
1: know, and, and he wanted to go back off stage. He yeah. was like I didn't need no, no award. That's how he <laughs> reacts
0: to energy. So, you know, dogs are creatures that rely on a perception of energy. Yes. And when he that big eruption of applause, he was unfamiliar with that. So it, it threw him back into a, a almost a fight or flight state. So um, that's just, you know, he'd never had that kind of a round of applause, but no so kids, it. man, he just he just kind of gets in this therapy mode where he just lays on the ground and and the dogs can, the kids can kind of do whatever they want with him. They can learn how to pet a dog learn how to be affectionate with the dog. And it's really, really wonderful watching him do that. And it's wonderful when he when he comes out of his shell and, and the kids come out of their shells kind of at the same time because cooch can also be... He has his moments where well, a lot of people assume he's forgotten what happened to him. And mm-hmm. I think it's those moments of really high intensity energy, like when the round of applause happened, mm-hmm. that he remembers what happened to him. I think it was probably a very stressful, you know, post-traumatic stress-inducing create inducing scenario. Right. And, you know, for instance, whenever there's a broom out, and everybody's got a stick in their hand. You know, Hooch runs and hides and, and just shakes, glues himself to the ground and starts shaking. So he hasn't forgotten it, but he perseveres through it. And that's one of the lessons that, that I love about Hooch.
1: Why do you think his story touched so many that uh, propelled him really to win and win so big in 2016? Well, I think Hooch
0: has been through an unspeakable act of human awfulness. I mean, he he somebody has a, a person, a deplorable human being who obviously doesn't value any of the things most of us hold dear, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't respect, um, doesn't respect life, and, and not only doesn't respect life, but is so calculated and, and sick and cruel that they would go through the, the act of, of severing a dog's tongue. It, it's such a, we all picture it, whenever people realize that he doesn't have a tongue or that we tell them that he doesn't have a tongue, there's a universal reaction, which is people either get tremendously sad or they want to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And for us, you know, killing somebody's not an option—not at all. But but getting proactive, mm-hmm. it is, and um, you know, exalting dogs like Hooch, that is an option, and showcasing their resilience is an option, and showcasing his triumph, like you guys were able to help us do, is an option, and and I think people people related. It's such a oh my god, I cannot believe that happened to him. Look at him now. Situation where he's gone from receiving, you know, the utmost worst from mankind, and then with the American Hero Dog Award, receiving Mm -hmm. the utmost best from mankind.
1: You know, I love that. It was a triumph, a triumph for so many who want to eliminate abuse and cruelty from our world. You know, I always say, Zach, you can't protect what you don't love. You can't love what you don't know. And I'm so grateful to you for letting us all know the story of Hooch, loving Hooch, and then... I'm hoping that it changes lives where people can get involved and help build a better world, a world without cruelty, which we all dream and aspire
0: to. Yeah, and I really do think that because of organizations like ours and yours, mm-hmm. that, that transition, that, that paradigm shift is occurring. You know, we view people or view their, their animals more like family than they ever have. And, um, and, and really, what I like to say is that dogs are medicine. Dogs are medicine, and they are our teachers, our therapists, you know, our physical trainers, our unconditional lovers. They are so much to us that we just have the ability to listen if we can dumb ourselves down just a bit to uh accept the advice of a dog and watch how a dog goes through life we can pick up endless endless That's advice nice. and, and real real practical advice on how to how to cope with the world dogs have it dialed in they have figured <laughs> fear do, cope with the world and um you know we could definitely take a page out of their book you know and um, yeah i mean ho- hooch Hooch's latest program has been our, our prison program. We've taken him in a couple times with us. And the people who I think are the most affected by his story are our inmates. I've never seen a, a stronger reaction from a group of people than when our inmates find out that, uh, that Hooch has no tongue. Mm-hmm. They, are, um, they almost seem more affected than anybody else that we run his story by. It's kind of interesting. A lot of people don't think there's much compassion in prison, but uh, there definitely is, and Hooch helps bring it out.
1: Well, Zach, we're about out of time today. I want to, first of all, thank you for sharing your personal journey with us, for uh, becoming such a passionate animal advocate. Thank you for all your efforts you do to change the world. How can our listeners learn more about your work? Can you give us our website again?
0: Yeah, yeah the best thing you can do is go to marleysmonths.org. Mm-hmm. We have a number of different programs from our Positive Change in Made Canine Training Program to, you know, Real Extensive span Neuter to Rescue Rehab to... Um, you know, our Miracle Mutts, which is our educational program, which is which goes three days a week. We have a Barks and Books program. we got all you kinds got of everything. things going on. So whatever you're interested in, we we got something for you at Marley's org.
1: That's wonderful, Zach. Thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, thanks so much for uh, really changing the world. Well, I'll see you on the 15th, right? Or on the, uh, what is it, 16th? Absolutely. We'll be there celebrating uh, Service Dogs. So thank you.
0: Yeah, that'll be awesome.
1: It'll be wonderful, Zach. Thanks for all you do. And give Hooch a big hug from me
0: you got it we'll see you soon that's Thanks great thank a lot for the opportunity
1: thank you well friends what an incredible story from Zach's personal struggles to a special bond with Hooch this episode brought out all the emotions and friends we're so proud to have recognized Hooch at our 2016 Hero Dog Awards the awards were created to celebrate dogs just like him, dogs who have overcome the odds to do incredible things. I hope that you'll continue to follow along with American Humane as we prepare for the 2018 Hero Dog Awards, a star-studded, tail-wagging award show in sunny California this fall. And remember this week, friends, and every week, I'm loving animals, and I hope you do too. I'll see you next week for a brand new episode.
0: Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand.